Hello. Test it. Test Hello and welcome to Agitate, a periodical podcast of creative, entrepreneur, and other interesting people. My name is Rob and I'll be taking you on this journey. So sit back and enjoy yourself. This is Agitate. Hello everybody and welcome. Today we have Chris Whitehead, a serial entrepreneur. Chris has many business successes behind him, and uh, today we're going to talk to him about uh, his secrets, what he does in his day, uh, and his pastimes. So here we go. Here's Chris Whitehead. Chris is an old childhood friend. Uh, You might not have heard of him, but uh, he does have a long list of accomplishments. So uh, hi, Chris. How are you? (laughs) Good, Rob. How are you? Good. So we're here in Chris's RV. Uh, on the shore of a lake uh, somewhere in northern Ontario, and uh, yeah. So what what have you been up to, Chris? Uh, lots of travel the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, I exited uh, from a software company that I built for ten years in Toronto just two and a half years ago. So decided that uh, it was time to you know see the world a little bit. It was ten years. Ten years, yeah. Wow. Yeah, ten years in Toronto. And what, what was the software? What did the software do? We had uh, developed proprietary software that automotive dealers utilize to manage their online inventory, their customers, um, as well as uh, their internet marketing. And we also uh, built websites and we uh, managed their internet marketing as well. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Is that all for Canada? Uh, yeah. We were just starting to look at the U.S. market when uh, an opportunity came for me to sell and uh, I took it. Great. Yeah. Great. Just big life change. So when was that? Uh, it'll be three years ago this September. Wow. So what have you been doing for two and a half years? Uh, like I said, I've done a lot of travel. Yeah. Um, I've also uh, I've invested in some startups. Uh, cool. Just to kind of keep myself active. Some of them are kind of struggling along and some of them are actually doing pretty good. Great. Yeah. Great. So where have you been? What have you been up to? Like... Well, a lot of skiing, travel, you say. Skiing's always been a passion of mine. Uh, alpine skiing, so um, been doing a lot of ski trips. Uh, I spent, you know, two years ago, I spent three weeks doing the notorious Canadian Powder Highway. Um, Where's that? Fly into Kelowna, and you, well, what we flew into Kelowna, and our first night would be, we uh, ski Big White, and down to Red Mountain, which is in Roslyn. Uh, we bypassed Fernie, but we went up to... Kimberly and then Panorama. You went to Kimberly. Went to Kimberly. Yeah. We didn't actually ski Kimberly though. We just stayed there the night. Uh, We kind of decided to take the day off. Actually, from Red Mountain, we went to Whitewater. So we had a couple of big back-to-back days, including some backcountry touring. So we were pretty tired. So when we got to Kimberly, we just made it a a sort of a rest day, and then we went on to Panorama, Kicking Horse, and then Rumpelstoke. Wow. Yeah. And what was that? You said two and a half months? No, that was only three weeks. Three weeks. Yeah, that was a three-week trip. Uh, been to Alaska a couple times, heli skiing uh, points north of, in the Chugach. Uh, in Japan this last January. Wow, what was Japan like? Really, really good. Really interesting. Like uh, the pe- the people there are just amazing. The food is amazing. It's so clean, uh, and the skiing was really good. Like they're famous for their deep dry champagne powder, and it definitely delivered while we were there. Yeah. How long? How long were you there for? Uh, Ten days. I went from I actually went from Japan directly to back to uh, Kelowna and off to Revelstoke where we did some cat skiing for five days after that. Sweet, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, it's been a pretty good run. South America, weren't you? Oh, in South sorry, America yeah, too? I missed that one. Uh, I took my daughter to um, Portillo and we did what was called a Superstars Camp in Portillo, where we skied with uh, well some of my. Uh, sort of influences in skiing some really uh high-end big mountain skiers uh ingrid backstrom mike douglas um chris anthony chris davenport um what was that what was that like oh it's a ski with those guys well 
you know, actually, I've had the chance to ski with Chris Anthony a few times now. He's guided me in Alaska as well, uh, and bike with him too. And it's 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 amazing. Like you know, you watch these guys in movies, and and just to see how powerful they are in real life, and especially you know, well, Wendy Fisher was there as well. She was an Olympian, and Inger Backstrom and Jess McMillan, and it was just such a positive influence for my daughter, who just was just ending her, finishing up her ski racing sort of career, and you know, I wanted to show her that there's a lot more available uh, to somebody in skiing than yeah. just racing. Uh, and uh, it, it was spectacular. And the setting where we were, you know, we're, we're surrounded by, f- you know, 14,000 foot peaks all around, um, right on the border of Argentina. Uh, and you can see, and I'm not going to pronounce it correctly, but it's uh, it's one of the seven summits, the highest mountain in South America. It's in Argentina, a- Aconacoy. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I always pronounce it incorrectly, but it's, and, and you're, you're, you're surrounded, the, the slopes around Lake Inca. So this beautiful crystal blue lake that doesn't quite freeze over so it was uh it was pretty phenomenal it was a special trip wow spent a couple of days in santiago to turn turn around over there yeah good people down there yeah yeah i mean a little bit of a language barrier for me it was with the spanish uh so you know when we were in portillo we were mostly with uh, the camp so we we're you know we were guided by uh the group that i mentioned yeah so everybody's everybody around you is pretty much english speaking yeah yeah absolutely cool well so um what about mountain biking been up any up to anything there so uh, so yeah my second sport passion is mountain biking it's actually coming really close to uh uh, skiing these days because it's just i don't know finding more and more enjoyment out of it uh last october a good friend of mine and i uh took this RV and we were driving it down to Arizona for uh, my parents to use for the winter. So we stopped and we did both some uh, road biking and mountain biking. So we did some road biking in Colorado, uh, which was phenomenal. Uh, Mountain biking in Fruta, Colorado, uh, which I really enjoyed. And we we obviously had to go down to uh, Moab and and, and bike Slick Rock. Cool. Yeah, it was really, really neat. Great. How long were you there for? That trip was uh, two weeks, but then I, I believe it was two weeks. And then I went back down in March to pick the, uh, to pick this unit up. And Val came and met me, and we spent some time in Sedona. She had to go back to, to, to work, so I, uh, I, I, took, uh, I took the camper, went up through Utah, did some skiing, uh, Idaho, did some skiing <laughs> there, um, did some skiing in Washington. Uh, ended by, up, by yourself? Yeah, by myself. But, you know, skiing is pretty special sport. It seems to, you, you find kindred spirits wherever you go. So every mountain that I skied, I ended up finding locals that wanted to share their mountain with me. And it, was, it was just a fantastic experience. And then I ended up in Chilliwack, where I had just recently, with my cousin, purchased uh, a townhouse to flip. Um, she's been doing it for quite some time. So I went out and spent some time with her, helping her out, getting things ready. And, and my son flew out. Uh, he helped us out, too. And then we drove back to Ontario. And we stopped again in Salt Lake City, and we skied Alta, and we did some fly fishing. So you dropped back down into the we states. We dropped back down the states. Yeah, we looked at you know according to Google Maps, we were only taking ourselves an hour out of our way. And Alta, this is middle middle April, and Alta had just got hammered with snow, so it just you know we just had to go. <laughs> taking yourself an hour out of the way it, in the, what what the, direction? If you were going to do Canada versus the United so States, so United States according to Google Maps was always going to be the quicker route, but it was you know we were going to go a little further north, but going out of our way into like Salt Lake City basically we lost an hour so it wasn't so bad wow. yeah yeah wow uh you know 80 mile an hour speed limits through utah right <laughs> yeah and i guess with the going through the rockies and lake louis banff area and all that yeah it's can pretty windy yeah pretty slow and fuel is cheaper through the states too so that's important uh, so you do highway two would you do come oh back on gosh yeah. Do you do the interstate or? Did yeah, you we did the interstates. I, I actually took the back roads on my way up. Uh, it, it got a little sketchy in some of these narrow roads, especially through Idaho, and you know have these raging rivers. Uh, you know, right next to you, and you know I'm towing a fourteen thousand pound RV, and it's pouring rain, and you know no guardrails. So you're like, hmm, I don't know if I want to really repeat this too often. <laughs> Crazy. So you have a blog too, right? Uh. Yeah, I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm working on it. But that sort of highlights all your travels and what you're up to? Well, I figured I should journalize it. Um, you know. Kinda. What's it called? Adventure Over 40. 
dot com. Dot com. Yeah. Interpretwarrior.com. Like I said, it's still under construction, so don't mind uh, some of the uh, spelling errors and punctuation mistakes. And usually let Val take care of those for me. That's always a work <laughs> in progress, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I got to get back to writing because I've got a lot of uh, stories that I still want to tell. And um, Well, but, it's ongoing, right? It's ongoing, but uh, even stuff that I've, I've already done, you know, I my Alaska trips, actually the Powder Highway trip. I'm just finishing up the article on that. And I did that trip two years ago. But that was just a phenomenal trip. You know, living out of a van, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. Being a ski bum. Being a ski bum. Awesome. Yep. It's great. So what else have you done in the past two and a half years besides that? Spent, you know, it seems ironic with all the travel I've done, but I've been able to spend a lot more time with my family, which, uh, you know, when I when I had my last business, I, I lived in Sudbury and I worked in Toronto, which, you know, kept me away from home for close to 10 years. Um, so, yeah, that's been good. Uh, start uh, Invested in another startup, which is a mining contracting company for, with my brother. So I helped out just in the initial stages of that, just getting things set up and structures and business and systems and recruiting a president and that sort of thing. It's going well. Excuse me. Yes, it's uh, you know things are picking up. Uh, it's a challenging time in the commodities markets, but uh, we think that's an opportunity for uh, someone like us to kind of come, come in, in with and a fresh view, of- fresh view, and you know not a lot of baggage, and just yeah. try to get in there and do good work and. Great. Yeah. Wow. So tell me where you came from. So you've you've achieved all this stuff over the past ten years, and you've done two and a half years of travel. How did you get to that point? What was, what was your What was your childhood like? What was your schooling like? Um, what were important things I was that just helped an, you? I was just an average student. I think um, what helped me, what motivated me, was. Uh, a, some strange things actually um, to provide obviously but you know to be honest it's going to sound really bad but to prove some people wrong sure Uh, however it gets you there uh, I think people might have had some lower expectations in particular you know some teachers uh, coming through in your high school yep Uh, I wasn't very studious. Like I said, I was an average student and I don't think I put a lot of effort into uh, my studies. When I went to college though, I worked a little harder and I got better grades. What did you do in college? Studied civil engineering technology. It was a three-year program. Worked in that field for a while. Um, it was good. It exposes you to the world. It exposes you to uh, you know what's out there. What kind of things would you work on in that? Generally speaking, you know, it's roads and bridges, right? Yeah. And it was really kind of strange. Again, this comes to, you know, this strange path that I took. Uh, there wasn't a lot of work when I graduated. Everything was contract. Nobody was offering full-time jobs. So I had a contract uh, job working for an engineering consulting firm. And it was really interesting how they worked. They really wanted you to be billable, meaning that all, like as much as your time can be billable directly to a client. So they were covering your your salary basically. Mm-hmm. And for my position, they wanted it to be over ninety percent billable. So if I wasn't over ninety percent billable, they'd be upset with me. But I had no control over my workload. It wasn't like I was allowed to go out and get work because I was you know just this very junior person. Mm-hmm. So I came up with a proposal and I suggested to. Uh, to my boss, I said, look, you know, why don't you just let, let me go and I'm going to start my own company and I'll come and do work for you when you have it. But when you don't have work for me, you know, don't worry about it because I'm going to go out and I'm going to do the same thing with similar engineering firms. And they thought it was a great idea. Um, that way they didn't have to carry the extra overhead. So that's what we did. Um, shortly thereafter, they didn't have any work for me, but uh, started having to grind and uh, find other projects. And that's where the opportunities present themselves. Um, give you an example. You know, I ended up getting this contract where I was GPS mapping logging roads and snowmobile trails for uh, the Ministry of Natural Resources. Mm-hmm. And I'd go into the, actually, right where we are right now, not far from here, I remember getting my, my truck stuck in the mud and just completely covered in mud while doing this job. And going back to town, and there was like literally nowhere to wash my truck. There's no uh, coin-op, self-serve type car washes. Okay. So it's just, this is where the weird bend in the road takes you. I decided to start researching the business. Um, you know, fast forward a few years later, I built my first uh, five-bay car wash. And I built a second one a couple years after that. So I took a pretty winding road in my career. Um, 
I bought a third property to build a third car wash and I got a little gun shy because um, I had heard that someone else was building one near me and I just thought, you know, there, there wasn't enough uh, space in the market for that many. Mm -hmm. So I held off and ended up getting in the car business. <laughs> how, how, how well because I bought okay this. you're washing cars and now you're going right. to get in the car business well well you know when I started the first car wash I was taking some business courses and I um, I met this young guy uh, Ryan O'Connor who was uh, you know it was funny like I remember building physically standing up in a ladder working on the construction of my first car wash and he shows up in this brand spank a new shiny Cadillac SDS you know it's a nice car and these kids in his 20s and at that time uh, it was the Americans were buying a lot of Canadian cars there was a big difference in the, the Canadian US dollar and he was just sitting on a beach basically buying and selling cars all day Wow, man, that sounds like a pretty neat life, right? He's shipping Canadian cars to the States. He was shipping Canadian cars down to the U.S. at the time. What, what sort of, do you know what sort of bureaucracy that is? Like how, how paperwork-wise? Uh, I wasn't involved, so really I don't, but I, I don't think it was very difficult. I think it's gotten more difficult uh, just recently under Trump. I, I, like before, my understanding is a car might have to wait at the border for a day while you're doing the paperwork. Now it's mandatory that a car going to the U.S. has to stay at the border for 30 days. So unless you have deep pockets, you're not going to have a whole bunch of inventory tied up sitting at the border Sitting that you can't around, yeah. sell right so i think that's changed the market changed the market there a bit but this like, again this is back in uh, it's in the 90s that this happened so you know i had that contact and like i said i bought this property to build another car wash and i got nervous to, to, do, to start construction so I, I needed to do something with it so started a used car lot wasn't really my cup of tea, you know. Yeah. The location wasn't where all the traditional car dealerships were in our city, uh, so I had to turn to the internet to try to drum up business. And what year was this? Been mid nineties. This was now fast forward to about two thousand one, two thousand two ish. No, maybe yeah, around maybe two thousand three, but yeah, early two thousands. Okay. And uh, it ended up getting pretty good at it. <laughs> Generally. So you're marketing your cars online. Yeah, I was selling cars all over the province from Sudbury. Like I remember one time delivering a car to Windsor, which is you know, you know eleven hours, twelve hours south, mm -hmm. and a car to Thunder Bay, which is twelve hours northwest, the same day, without ever meeting the customer. So this is pretty new back then. Like people, you know, the internet, the concept of buying cars through the internet was, you know, pretty foreign to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but I didn't like I didn't like the car business, and I actually had a partner, and things were going well with that partner. So we decided to uh, part ways, and I I kept going with uh, with the internet component of the, the automotive business. We'd actually developed some software that helped us manage the leads, and it was really basic software. It was just it was just basically you know almost like an email forwarding, forwarding type software. But I saw opportunity there, so uh, sold sold uh, the dealership, sold the prop, uh, property, and uh, developed the software company that I sold two and a half years ago. So spent ten years doing that. So, so you went from marketing cars online with a simple sort of email form so how did sorry the email form was how we were managing it so because um basically you know it created electronic folders so i, I ended up coming up with this this system to um, manage these leads because it's not like somebody sends you a request online and they buy a car the next day there's a sales process and what we what i've learned over the years is uh, that sales process the sales cycle for an online buyer at the time was like 60 90 days so i developed um what i call the 14 day push where i would call and email somebody on the first day of their inquiry i would email them the second day i would i would call them the third day I'd leave them alone the fourth day and then I'd start over and I had this whole process for 14 days that was when I felt they were hot mm -hmm. so once that 14 days was over I'd move them to a different process so I was doing this manually at first I actually had file folders so the different process was you know I might not reach out to them as much maybe once every two weeks then I had sort of like my cold process was you know or once a month I would still try to contact these people and it worked like I, I would sell cars to people nine months later so with that very simple first email sort of form was just like putting those in the folders for me kind of managing them and then telling me which ones I had to deal with that first uh, generation so where how did the software evolve from there so 
you know, I figured if it's going to work for me, it's going to work for other dealers. So, and I talked to I talked to some other dealers. I ended up bringing that. Remember that car dealer that I met showed uh, uh, mentioned oh, yeah. Ryan. Ryan. Uh, I went to him with this idea and showed him what I had, and and he saw the he was a visionary and he saw the opportunity as well. So I brought him in as a partner, and we said, you know, let's develop this because if it works for us, if it works for his dealerships, which is where we, we use his dealerships as a testing ground. Um, we really, you know, saw a market for the software. So that's that's what we did, and we continually evolved the software and grew it. Um, we even got to the point actually where, in and around 2009, 2010, a very well-known company in Canada known as Canadian Black Book. Um, which is the only source at the time to get vehicle values. In the U.S., you have sources such as Kelly Blue Book, Edmunds mm-hmm. Guides, NADA Guide. Um, in Canada, it's really only Black Book. But Black Book literally was still a little Black Book. Yeah, they paper book. Paper book. Um, they really didn't have a lot of technology. They didn't have an internet presence. And they saw what was going on south of the border with Kelly Blue Book and the amount of money that they were making through um, online advertising and, and through their portal because they had information that consumers wanted. People wanted to know what their cars were worth. Uh, they wanted to be able to go into dealerships armed with more information and, and understand you know, the value of what they already had and the value of what they're looking at purchasing. So they came to us in, like I said, 2009, 2010, uh, and asked us to partner up with them and uh, launch CanadianBlackBook.com, which we did. So our company uh, made the financial investment to build the back-end software, uh, the forward-facing website. And we, we launched that, and it became the third largest automotive portal in Canada within uh, the first year. Wow. Yeah, and we ended up selling it back to them in 2014. Cool. Yeah. Good. Yeah, it was great. It was, it was a great experience. Uh, Definitely some trials and tribulations. Definitely some stuff that uh, I'm probably not allowed to talk about anymore. But <laughs> uh, it was a learning experience. So, again, with your original software, so what? What? How did it end up? What was the final incarnation of the software? How big was it? What did it encompass as as a sales lead? So, most of our dealers management. used it to manage their, their online marketing, their inventory. Um, some of the more power users that use it like from front to back to, to, to manage the customer relationships like any CRM would. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had developed apps. So basically, we could do it from the, the time. We could manage a piece of inventory from the time you purchase it at auction or if it was coming from um, manufacturer, if it was a new vehicle, to the time that you sold it. Uh, we had an app that would scan the VIN, take the photographs, gather all the information of uh, a piece of vehicle, and, and as soon as you save that information on your phone, you would sim- simultaneously upload that information to your website, uh, and it would simultaneously publish it to any third-party websites that you're utilizing to advertise your vehicles, like AutoTrader, wow. Kijiji. And, uh, so basically, we, we talk about turn to earn, and that's like how basically how fast you can get that car up and marketed so you can sell it. Uh, you know, time frame and uh, speed was key and we were really good at that wow that's crazy yeah totally automated totally like, automated. Just, yep yeah you get it the car arrives on the property you scan it with your phone scan the VIN with your phone yep. it prompts you to take pictures prompts you to take pictures video as well if you want video <laughs> you just you press enter press save and uh, it, it magically ends up in all these other places all these other websites. auto magically we call it <laughs> <laughs> yeah so how would how would a dealer how would a client purchase that from you it was, was a monthly subscription it was a monthly subscription and monthly we, subscription. we had a lot of extra support things that we would provide but uh, it was a monthly subscription so at the height when you were still involved with it how many we had a, we had over a thousand users Cool. Do you have any competition? Oh yeah. When when I sold, we the, the big companies, really big companies, have formed in the U.S. and surpassed us in size. But uh, you know, we bootstrapped our company too. I think that was a key difference. Oh yeah. So you know, we finance, we self finance the entire thing. Uh, There's a couple of big companies out of the states that went in and you know, got themselves a couple hundred million dollars of funding. Um, we had, oh, com- we, 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 had, we had competitors sell for a billion dollars to get the same time we go toe to toe with them against a big client you know it was 50-50 who was going to get the job us or them because you know we did good work great yeah. well, 
So at the end, when you sold the company, how many employees did you have? Uh, between 60 and 64. Uh, Big responsibility. It was, yeah. You know, sometimes you, you sit there and you're thinking. It, it, actually, I talked to other people that kind of got to that place where I was, and, and, and it's sort of a double edge. You get to that point, and you have really good people doing really good work, and they've worked you out of a job sometimes. There's things that you would be involved with. You know, sometimes you come to the office, and it's like, oh, wait, I, somebody else is taking that off my plate now. Okay, so what's, what's my next task? Yeah. So it's kind of weird. So then you start thinking, oh, Wow, I'm really responsible for you know all these people being able to pay their mortgages and feed their families and you know if things go wrong, it, it did feel like a lot of responsibility sometimes, but you know in a good way. Well, we have we have some uh, ex- exterior entertainment here as somebody pulls their RV out of here. <laughs> yeah, it can be entertaining sometimes. So what what do you see? What do you see in the future for yourself? In the way of business. In the way of business, business. Uh, I you know it's going to sound awful, but uh, I I'm not not motivated to do something big again. Um, I want just to do things that make me happy, uh, and if I can do that and make money at the same time, I think that's that's a bonus. And that's, you know, the, the blogs is the um, first example. I'm just doing this for, for my own fun. Yeah. I know with my internet marketing background that I can actually monetize this. Uh, I know how to do it. Oh, um, for sure. But it's not my motivation. Yeah. I'm just... I, I because think, then it becomes work. Then it becomes work. It becomes a, a like, job and you're babysitting it and you're yeah. keeping up I on it. I mean, the fact that I haven't actually posted anything on it in the last three weeks would probably be a bad thing if it was a job, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Right now, I'm doing it for me. And you know what? If somebody kind of looks at it and says, geez, you know, I've been working my butt off for 20 years at my career and I've given up things that were my passions that they couldn't do anymore, whether it be, you know, some sort of sport or whatnot. And you, you can realize that you can get back to that. You can get back to those things that you loved when you were younger. You just have to decide to do it. Is that your motivation to do the blog? Yeah. I want, I want you know, people. To- yeah. So there's another side to that too, right? Like in, in those years, you know, let's call it 20 years that I was uh, self-employed or an entrepreneur. Um, I didn't take care of myself very well. Uh, you know, you're eating at restaurants, you're on the go, you're traveling, airports, planes, trains, and automobiles. You know, that whole careful what you wish for. I always wish I had a job that allowed me to travel. Well, it's not all that glamorous. And yeah, you have some good meals, but guess what? You start wearing it on your waistline. Oh, yeah. So I How'd physi- that work out for you? <laughs> not well for the longest time. And, you know, you end up developing restrictions that you can't do just because you're not in the shape that you think you're in. Yeah. And so the motivation for me is, you know, it's never too late. You know, I, I was 262 pounds when I weighed myself. I think I was probably heavier now, but last time I weighed myself when I was at my heaviest. And how tall are you? Uh, like five, 11 and a half. Yeah. I mean, I've always said that's a big bulky. Yeah. Broad person. Yeah. How'd you carry it? I think I carried it well. Yeah. But I was big. Yeah. And it was. And at that time, were you still occasionally skiing? Yeah. And and it kind of hit me that, you know, it wasn't until like in the last few years of of my last business that I had the opportunity to maybe go skiing out west and in the Rockies and that sort of thing. And I loved it. And I still had the technical ability, but I couldn't ski for very long. Oh, yeah. I'd be winded. My legs would be tired. And uh, I thought to myself, you know, something's got to change. I, I'm finally in a place in my life where I can, I have, I can afford the time and I, I financially I can afford to, to, you know, go to these places and ski these places that I've always wanted to ski, but I don't have the ability because my body won't let me. So I had to make a change. So was there a turning point? Was there like a, a, there was. an actual day that you remember? I, I, I'd already, you know, I, I don't know if there was a day. It's, you know, I, I knew I had to make some changes, but there's there's a, a fellow about a, about a year older than I was from our hometown um, who had passed away of a heart attack at his desk at 42 years old. I think he had five kids. I didn't know him very well, but everybody knew him because he was like, you know, he's a really nice guy, but he was like the t- he was the athlete of our sort of era you know oh, yeah. he, was, he was a great athlete so i had this image of him as being like this really fit guy um and you know he has a heart attack at his desk it's like it's devastating right and i thought 
that that's that's me. Like that could be me. Yeah. Like, that guy was better was leaps and bounds and better in shape I was ever in. And there he is having a hard time. So yeah, that's I had to make a change. So what was the first step in getting fit again? I did everything. <laughs> What'd you if do? you've read about it, I've tried it, done it, swallowed it, eaten it, oh, yeah. starved it, yeah, exercised it. And what? So what? What worked? Um, what did you stick with? What I'm doing now? It. I believe it's all diet. Like I exercise not to lose weight. Diet's how I lose weight in my mind, in my opinion, in my experience actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have a very physical lifestyle. Right. So I spend a lot of time in the gym. I'm in the gym two to three times a week. Uh, and I make some, like in this time of year, I'm biking a lot. Uh, in the wintertime, I just I like to do things that are fun, though. You know, when I first started on this journey uh, to lose weight and get in shape, you know, I was doing stuff that wasn't necessarily fun. I just thought it was necessary. I've never liked running, but I'd, I'd be running. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess it's effective, but I never really enjoyed it. So I just want to do fun things. And I love biking. I love skiing, I love being outdoors, you know, cross-country skiing and snowshoeing. So I love doing those sorts of things. But there's certain things you, you know, you need to do in the gym. So I still like to go to the gym once or twice a week. Yeah. Yeah. So what sort of, uh, what sort of diet are you on? I don't eat sugar. No sugar? Basically, that's my own rule. No refined sugars or no sugars at all? I try to keep my carbohydrates below 50 grams a day. 50 Uh, grams a day? Yeah. Yeah. And how do you achieve that? Um... It's not so hard anymore. Like I used to, it, it was easy for me because, like, like I said, I've I've done everything, including the calorie section diet, where I tracked everything I ate for a long time. Like I mean, a couple of years where every day, every meal, everything I put in my mouth, I logged it. So I I, I, I understand food now. I understand what I put in my body. Um, I can tell you, like you know, when I have, you know have a beer in my hand right now, and I can tell you that it's it's around three three and a half grams of carbs in this beer. Yeah. Um, and it's you know. So mentally, I can do it. I don't have to track it. I don't have to write it down anymore. But you, you figure you're averaging around 50? Oh, probably a, a lot less than that. Like this weekend, not so much. It was Canada Day weekend and um, partake, took in a few beers. But yeah. uh, I, I, te- I test my blood sugar regularly. So uh, I'm pretty confident that I didn't... Uh, I didn't. Basically, I'm, you put your body into a state of ketosis. Um, and if you come out of ketosis... It's it's hard to get back in. It takes some time. Yeah. So basically, your your uh, your body goes into a fat adaptive state. So instead of burning sugar glycogen for energy, it's burning fat for energy. So it's it's burning your stored fat. Cool. Yeah. Seems like the way to go. I for me it is. I think it's different for everyone. Yeah. Um, but one hundred percent for me it is. Yeah. I've discovered that my body's insulin resistant so I'm very sensitive to sugars and carbohydrates uh, I can gain weight very easily I can gain five pounds tomorrow if I wanted to easily uh-huh. in a day like, what do you weigh easy. now? Uh, I'm fluctuating between 191 and 196 my goal weight was 200 uh, but I've since adjusted that <laughs> oh yeah a little lower? I wouldn't mind 185 now yeah yeah. there's always room to it, for me it's about it's, it's you know it's not about vanity. It's it's about efficiency. So I've really gone into this. I love this backcountry skiing, mm-hmm. and it's hard. It's challenging. It's physically exhausting, and to carry extra weight, it, it's not efficient. So it's all about efficiency now for me. Yeah. And when I'm done that, then you know, hopefully my I, I won't put forty pounds on and be a couch potatoes. But yeah, who knows? So what do you what do you do for the holidays? You just you just be strict with yourself. I've I've had breaks from my diet, but I'm at the point now. I think it'd be you know I hate to make this comparison with you, Rob, but I think it would be like um, a vegetarian or a vegan all of a sudden eating meat. You just don't feel very good. Yeah, and that's how I'm like. I actually did have a I, I broke away from my diet really heavily for my mom and dad's 60th anniversary because we had a beautiful dinner and a beautiful restaurant Italian food and um, I said you know what pasta pasta pizza <laughs> oh nice and it was phenomenal but I was sick all night really yeah yeah so I just don't want to be feel sick yeah it's not it's not even fun yeah 
But you know, the other neat, neat thing about eating the way I'm eating is, is uh, I'm doing a lot more, more research on food. So because you know, I can eat this way really easy and simple food and boring food. But you want to eat things that are interesting. So Absolutely. I'm researching recipes and I'm spending a lot more time in the kitchen and cooking a lot more, which I never used to do. So that's, that's been fun. And how does Val find that? I like my cooking, Val. It's awesome. She likes it. There you go. Because she doesn't have to cook. That's great. So, um, well, tell me, tell me about your day. What when you when you have a day at your home base? How does your day run out? Uh, How does it start? You know, it's funny. I've asked myself that question a few times. What happened today? Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, you get up at what time? Eight o'clock usually. I'm not really an early guy. I wake I wake up at seven. I kind of lie there and scroll through, uh, read through articles and whatnot. Grab your phone and yeah. And I don't want to get in Val's way either. And it's an excuse not to go downstairs and be in the kids' way. So I just kind of wait until they're off and, and gone. Um, and a couple times a week, I'll be at the gym for eight thirty. So be at the gym from eight thirty to. Would you have breakfast? No, nope, I work on an empty stomach all the time. Yeah, I have a coffee though. Always coffee. Yeah. Uh, off to the gym, 10, 10.30, come home, and it depends. If I have a little project going on in the house, you know, a little rental project or something, I'll work on that. Um, I do have emails to answer and uh, uh, for some of my investments. So, you know, try to I try to help out with the mining company if they ever need a helping hand, so I'll go and help so out. So a little admin work? Yeah, yeah. And uh, usually by late afternoon, I'm thinking about what I'm making for dinner. Did you have lunch yet? Uh, d- depends if I had breakfast or not, really. So I normally don't have, if I'm working out, I won't have breakfast. So um, if I'm not working out that day, I'll probably have breakfast and no lunch. So it kind of changes. Okay. You know, I eat when I'm hungry. I don't really, I try not to. S- you don't wake up hungry? No, not usually. Wow. No. No. So, so either a breakfast if you're not training and then not a lunch whatever and yeah. then wh- what would you what would you be doing for dinner would you be training at all throughout the day on your own outside of ride. the gym yeah the bike rides will be hot during the day or nighttime yeah. yeah and and how far what would you do depends if it's a road or a mountain bike ride so mountain. road road you do uh like a, an average road bike ride be 50k yeah yeah big one would be anything over 50k yeah and then a mountain bike, you'd be out for an hour. Yeah, an hour, an hour and a half. Mountain bikes pretty exerting, exerting, and see, I, you know, I like them both. But where I live, it's really difficult to get out on the road bike because traffic. We don't have a really good, uh, safe feeling trails. So I, I, I end up getting out on the mountain bike more. Yeah, we have great. We have fantastic mountain bike system. Great. Yeah. Great. What about? Um They've just moved their RV from next door to the top of the hill. Uh, don't know why, but they've done it. That's yeah, strange. So, um, so what would you end up making for dinner then? <laughs> Lots of heavy fat foods, you know. Um, Example of like I'll make a gumbo. What would like be a, in it? Like a shrimp, uh, chicken, pork gumbo yeah okra and you know heavy cream coconut coconut milk uh, lots of spices i'll make a uh, butter chicken um i'll make i'll make pizza but the the dough will be we've done a couple different crusts i've done cauliflower crust oh yeah how'd you like that i like it i make a lot yeah yeah there's a lot there's amazing what you can do with cauliflower yeah I've made crust, I've made rice, I've made mashed potatoes, um, I've made nan bread, uh, you know, and of course you just eat it raw and it's a fantastic vegetable. I'd have to say cauliflower is probably my favorite vegetable. Yeah. I can't so, believe I'm sitting here talking to you about cauliflower. <laughs> <laughs> to me. Yeah. Of all people. Um, so, okay, and, and the kids and your wife, everybody, yeah, so that everybody keeps likes the, the food. Yeah, the kids like the food. And sorry, that keeps me busy in the day too, like, you know, things with the kids. But yeah, no, the kids love the food for the most part. Yeah. So, how about, what would your day be like if you're out on the road? If you're out on one of your adventures? Oh, wow. I know it can vary, it can yeah. vary, but, you know, what are you looking at? Are you looking at a cup of coffee and then hitting the slopes, or? Oh, so, it, you know, I... I 
bit of a transition for me because I'm trying to learn how to work with this fat adoption. So if I'm doing it like a backcountry score, uh, touring trip, I get a little, little nervous going on an empty stomach because you know you're you're probably burning three, four, five thousand calories, right? Yeah. So I'll eat a breakfast there. You know, I'll eat some bacon and eggs, and because you don't really you can't carry a lot of food with you, right? So yeah, if I'm on a ski trip, I'll I'll usually eat something in the morning. And then you'll ski for. I'll ski all day, and then I I, I won't eat all lunch. day. Yeah, might might have some uh, beef jerky, some cheese, or something in my pocket, maybe some nuts. But we'll ski all day. Oh yeah, we don't stop. I, I, you know, that's great. People, my ski partners are we're all like minded, and we just like to ski until the end of the day. And to sundown. If we're, if we're well, no, usually if if we're on a resort, you know, lifts out west usually close three four o'clock. Um, and you know, we might ski to three because we'll be out there. We try to get out for first chair and uh, ski all day and have a nice beer at the end of the day you know and that's and it's the same routine for mountain biking or, or biking trips wake up we'll have something to eat or, or not and we'll go mountain biking mountain biking is different though we might only go four or five hours a day if that that'd be a long day actually uh we come back to the the rv open a couple beer yeah you know we, we have low this routine, carb beer low carb beer two grams of carbs um make some dinner campfire bed early it's a common denominator bed bed early after a couple beer <laughs> what, 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 you, what time off oh, eight nine really oh yeah yeah so you're away from home yeah and you're going to bed eight or nine o'clock oh yeah night. absolutely you wouldn't go would you go out to a restaurant on the road R- rarely because you have it all here inside the RV. Yeah, and uh, or or the tour and I like that you're to, with, and I like to eat my own food, right? Yeah. Um, but we do. I mean, especially when you're moving, right? When you're moving from location to location, it's it, you'll stop at uh, the restaurant. And that no, you know, and it's I travel so much. Like if I were to do that and eat restaurants every day, you know, I might be back to my old my old self again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you have to be careful in a restaurant. You yeah, have to really pick your... Yeah. So, you know, you treat yourself to a restaurant here and there and go for wings on a Friday night and beer with your buddies, but... Uh, so you have a cheat day? No. Nope. No cheat day? No such thing as a cheating way I eat because... Not on ketosis. If you knock yourself out, you're basically working for, you know, two, three weeks to get yourself back there again. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So... Would you, what do you listen to? Do you listen to any podcasts? Do you listen to Tim Ferriss? Or do you listen yeah, to I actually do listen of, to Tim Ferriss, yeah. Uh, self-help do, stuff? Ketogenic athlete. Yeah, who's that? Um, Tim Ferriss has actually been on that. Yeah, you know, I can't think of the name. No, I'll put it in the, I'll put it in the notes with the cast, the podcast. Serial? Um, you ever seen, ever seen that one? I think it's no. called Serial. Um, that's amazing. Uh, this American Life. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you turned me... You, you, I know he's a big podcast, but you, you got me listening to uh, Joe Rogan a bit. Yeah. When he has some Here, interesting... I'm, I'm, I'm Crime Town. Oh, great one. Oh, that's through This American yeah, Life. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same, yeah. Did you listen to that one? That S-Town. They... Oh, was that not crazy? Was that not crazy? And I was like, what do you mean it's over? What do you mean that's the end of the story? I want to know what happens next. Did they arrest the guy? Like, I don't get it. Well, I don't know, man. That's without without giving it away, without spoiling it. It certainly it held me. I actually heard that. Who did I hear that through? I was listening to a Mark Marin, or no, I was listening to Alec Alec Baldwin's podcast. You know. You know Alec Baldwin? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Mr. He was he was interviewing the producer of it, and he basically said to the to the listeners, stop right here. If you haven't listened to S Town, go listen to it. So I stopped the podcast there. I listened to the eight hours. I listened of, to it in one sitting. Yeah. Why well, I, 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 I usually lift, listen to it in the car, so yeah, basically I just circled the circled the house on the car and just kept listening to it and I was I, like what a well put together piece because yeah. it it's it's so drew you in at the beginning oh the saturated char- the characters and what are they up to yeah and what is the story because it doesn't seem like there was ever a story so, there so there's a connection with the people that do um uh, s-town and that, the other one I mentioned serial and it's similar but serial is there's a there's they do more than one story yeah, uh, it's do. all PBS, right? It's all PBS. Well, it's the same. This American Life, right? Yeah, so, sorry, NPR. So yeah, it's all NPR. Yeah. yeah, 
and so cereal is fantastic i really enjoyed the cereal podcast i hope they come up with a new season do you do uh the human brain or any of those ones or radio lab no should they're, I? they're pretty good yeah yeah radio labs is entertaining science it's science stories but they make it entertaining you know there's banter between everything it's very sort of a casual feeling uh the human brain one is more in-depth um all about the brain and you know functions of the brain and everything so that that really interests me because um yeah i actually find that really interesting because a couple of books i've read recently the first one was uh, the Rise of Superman. Uh, I think it's decoding uh, superhuman power, basically, and and they're studying the flow state. You know, you know when you hear you're in flow. Surfers talk a lot of a lot about yeah, yeah. Uh, snowboarders talk a lot about it. But it's a real thing, and you know they've been studying it. Uh, Stephen Kotler, I believe, is the author of that book, and he just wrote um, a sequel to the book, and it's called Stealing Fire where he analyzes it even deeper and and it's really interesting and they're they're talking about you know all these silicon valley and navy seals and how these guys are really trying to uh, you know capture that flow state and 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 bottle it up and they're experimenting with psychotropics and they're Mm -hmm. um you know they're they're doing this really leading edge research and uh and we're talking like heads of you know I don't want to name names, but like big Silicon Valley companies. And, you know, that's what Burning Man really is, right? It's a, it's a, it's a time for these guys to go out in the middle of the desert and uh, create an alternative society and, you know, experiment with a bunch of uh, interesting psychotropic drugs and uh, get some big ideas. What was the name of the podcast again on that one? Oh, it wasn't podcast. These were a, a couple books that I, oh. I read recently. Uh, and then I read, uh, read another one by, um, it was actually called Flow. Um, and it was... Uh, can't remember the guy's the author's name he was i think it was polish but uh it's just it's really interesting so yeah i'm, I'm glad you mentioned those podcasts to me because i'm going to check those out so have you thought about the flow state oh i chase it no i chase the flow state like, yeah and i think all of us do and, and when i when i read the rise of superman it made me realize what actually motivates me and it was never really money or you know fame it was the chase of that flow state and you can and you can you can be in flow in many different ways you can be in flow uh, in business you know while you're doing a business negotiation doctors surgeons are in flow during their surgeries they're just in this hyper focused you know yeah. state um, but for me the best flow states now are the ones that I obtain while you know I'm on a mountain sure. or I'm you know rifling down at some trail in, in, in Utah on my mountain bike or, you know, stop uh, standing on top of a, you know, 45, 50 degree uh, pitch in Alaska, you know, you get, you, you get hyper-focused on what you're doing and you don't think about anything else in the world. Uh, and you just, you overcome, you know, certain anxieties and fears and you just do it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing. I do that work. Yeah. No, pe- people do it with. Uh, I get focused. I get really focused. People when I'm chase working. the flow state in many different ways, and don't really doing it. Some, some not very constructive through drugs and you know, alcohol. Um, believe it or not, people chase the flow state by watching television for four hours on end. Uh, it, 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 they disconnect. Uh, it doesn't seem very productive. But it's not. It's not productive. <laughs> so yeah, it, you know, I think the key is. Um, or video games. Or video. Oh, absolutely. Ugh. Absolutely. Oh, I've never been a, a gamer. And you know, it's funny. My kids either. So I, I just don't understand it myself. My all. eyes get tired. I get like sleepy after about 20 minutes. I can't do it. I have friends in the profession, you know, in my industry, like grown people who, you know, are great at their jobs, at their nine to five jobs. They're amazing. They do great stuff. But when they get together, when you actually get two of these guys together, and you, they mention a game. Oh my God! They go way off exactly. down this rabbit hole of of tech but, talk about but the games. Thing, but that's that's you know, it's clearly that it puts them in a flow state, and uh, you know they enjoy it and they get their quick. Okay, yeah, but and I, and I can see some benefit in it as being an outlet for right. them to relax. But you know, 
are they relaxed? Because are they relaxed? Like their right. brain's not relaxed no. and they're not doing anything for themselves, you know, physically beneficial. No, but it's, it's the release of chemicals in, your, in that flow state, right? Same kind of chemicals that cocaine releases in your body, you know, the dopamines, the, you know, I wish I, wish I studied up in biology a little bit mm-hmm. more, but you know, endorphins, the, the endorphins, yeah. um, you get those when you're in that flow state and people will get that playing video games. Um, people get that, you know, Jumping out of an airplane without yeah. a parachute. Did you see that oh, guy? I, I Did you see it. that guy? What? A bar, which one? He, he jumped out of a, he, uh, an airplane like 40,000 feet with no chute and landed yeah, in the net. In the net, yeah. <sighs> and Baumgartner yeah, jumped at uh, yeah. whatever it was, 30 yeah. miles. Yeah. But no, no, but run. no parachute. Yeah, no, no, I get it. Yeah. Did you yeah. see like the target? And, and is it was like? Is did you see stack? the? T- he's got to do that last little tumble at the very end just to light himself. To up. light himself up. Yeah. Ooh, uh, oh yeah. I <laughs> hope there's a delay on that on that video, man. No, it's funny. I, I'm really intrigued. Like, I would love to meet a guy like that. And I've been fortunate enough that I just I I've, I've bumped into and met certain like Red Bull athletes. And Miles Dacher is an example. I met him in Alaska last year or the year before, rather. And uh, he's part of the uh, Red Bull Air Force. Like he actually, the guy that showed Shane McConkney how to base jump. Mm-hmm. And you know, this guy was full of energy, full of life. He just this like probably the most dynamic individual I've ever met in my entire life. He just set a world record about two weeks ago for uh, um, most base jumps in a 24-hour period. Uh, something like I, I don't know the exact number, but something like 64 base jumps in 24 hours. Uh, he just kept climbing up. You know, jumping off this off uh, different off, places. No, it was one. the same place. It was a bridge. Yeah, yeah. But just you know, it's funny. Eh? Like just this guy is always in that flow state, but he's just full of energy and just it, it's incredible to meet these people. Yeah, that's nuts, man. Yeah. Jeez. So you got any good stories about some of your travels? <sighs> something crazy? Something dangerous? Uh, well, uh, you know, I, don't, I can't really share any danger stories because I might not be allowed to go anymore. But <laughs> you know, I, I the last my last were super enjoyable. Something that well, just the, invigorated. You know, you? They're, they're they're all all enjoyable. But you know, thing that stands out when you mention that is uh, a run we did in Alaska um, called Full Throttle. It's three thousand feet. Um, the first 1500 feet was about 55 degrees and it's in a no fall zone because we're above about a 200 foot cliff band and we had to tuck in underneath this rock where we could have a little break and then another 1500 feet which would have been about 40, uh, 40 45 no actually it was about 45 degrees so pretty steep stuff right yeah and actually that bottom section we had to go over Berkshire so you know you know you watch these guys like Chris Anthony and all these other guys do it to everyday occurrence for them but we were up there and so he's giving us this lecture house in the fall zone and um, he goes first so the rest of us are up there and really strong skiers and the next person who goes first she's actually a she's a fighter pilot US, US Air Force so the nerves are steel right she falls in the no fall zone like where we're told like you cannot fall because it's so steep you're just going to tumble right yeah. but she doesn't she doesn't tumble she's, she's just she's stuck right there and we all have radios and you're kind of in a zone uh, where, you know, there's actually three helicopters flying around different groups, but we're in a big enough zone. So we find out afterwards, like, like they grounded the helicopters, like they're trying to figure out what to do. So I was the one that's supposed to go next. <clears throat> and her ski came off and she, was, she wasn't she was able to get it back on. She was convinced that it was broken, that she broke something on her ski. So... Um, I was right above her and I just wasn't, well, for a number of reasons, but I, I wasn't comfortable to go and try to help her out because I thought I would slough her out. You know, I'd make mm, that first turn yeah. and the, 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 you, you, you create this, I don't want to call it an avalanche, but it's slough. It's like a mini avalanche. You're just sending, you know, shoots of snow down. And I thought I'd, I'd, I'd hit her with that. So this this other girl, uh, lady from Salt Lake City, just fantastic skier, her and husband with us. She goes down, help, helps her out and gets her going. And um, so we ski the run and it was uneventful. It was, it was fantastic. I, I think I skied it probably more cautious than I would have liked to have if I did it again. But it wasn't until on reflection, you know, weeks later, that I was like, that was pretty serious. Yeah. You know, like, wow. <laughs> That's some big, that's some big shit up there. Like it's, you know, but you, you didn't, it, it didn't click in right away though. Yeah. Can't make that mistake. Yeah. 
yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there's there's that story that kind of sticks out for me. Um, the other thing that sticks out, and I kind of mentioned it earlier, in, in right now, because I've done more ski travel than anything else, is the people. You know, not to sound too flaky, but you, you, you meet kindred spirits, that people have the exact same passion as you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've traveled for a bit on my own. I've also been fortunate enough to have some travel buddies. But when I'm on my own, I have never had um, a, an occasion where I didn't meet a local. You know, and hey, where are you from? You know, they chat you up. You realize you're skiing by yourself. Well, hey, do you want me to show you a run? Sure. They, obviously, they want to see how you ski first. You ski a run with them. And it never fails that I have a ski partner for the entire day, every time. Right. So I've kind of got a routine where I'm, I'm kind of looking for that person now. Yeah. And I buy them lunch and I figure it's the cheapest guide I'm ever going to get. You know, sure. and, and yeah. you know, they're enjoying showing me their mountain and I'm enjoying because you're getting a fantastic day of skiing like you're skiing local, like you're local. Yeah. You know, they know where the goods are, right? Anything, anything with mountain biking? Uh, so my mountain biking, I've always so far is, is fairly new. Besides to travel. our great story back in the nineties, riding. Well, that's actually the best ones. That that is actually <laughs> out of all my mountain bike travel stories, was still the best one. <laughs> you know, that was my first travel. I mean, was that, no, you had gone on mountain bike trips, but yeah. at that point, so that that would have been my first one. And Val was my wife now, but we were just dating at that time. You threw her in the deep end. Uh, she never even had a mountain bike. She didn't wasn't even sure what it was. So we go and we buy our mountain bike. She rides it, you know, down the sidewalk. We throw it on the roof of her Sunfire. Is that what it was? That white car. Yeah. Anyways, on, on the roof of the Sunfire, Sunbird, whatever it was. And uh, we go down to Sunday River, Maine, where they take you up on the chairlift and you bike down the mountain. <laughs> so that was our first experience. And I remember, uh, remember that trail, Upper Ketchum. Was that down the back side? Where it had that big sign. It said, warning, extreme danger. Rescue will take at least four hours. I mean, this is 25 years ago. And uh, when we did that, it was 25 years ago. Because we weren't married, and we've been married 23. Was it 25 years ago? It was 1993? Oh, it was a long time ago. 93, 94. No, it was 92. But I remember... 1992. I had the mountain goat. I didn't have my mantis. I remember you and I racing down that service road because I had the I had the thing that told your speed on the little computer on my bike, and we kept trying to go faster and faster and faster. And we, we'd look at each other and we high five each other. Hey, yeah, we got fifty miles an hour, whatever it was. And the last one, I'll never forget it because I actually kept it. I locked in because it, it always locked your your top speed. And uh, it was sixty four miles an hour. And it was hard slowing down, and you kind of kept going. And you went through a ditch, but you <laughs> yeah. you slowed down enough that you, you know you didn't really wipe out bad. But your seat was sideways and everything, and you jumped up right away. And you're like, how fast? How fast? How fast? I'm like, 64. And it's like, ooh, let's go see if we can get last. Uh, you know, last run because it was the end of the day. Let's get to the oh, bottom. We got to get the last right. run. You remember this? Yeah. <laughs> you pick up your bike, and your tires, your your back tire melted from the heat from the brake. Yeah. You had a complete flat. So we rushed down to the pro shop, and he changed it out. And we were still going to make the last run. I grabbed my bike, start wheeling it out of the rock. And I had the same thing. Yeah, yeah. melted tires. Melted Melted, tires. Melted tubes. We were going down there. Like, all these bikes today are, like, full suspension, disc brakes, hydraulic this, hydraulic that. Like, we we had caliper brakes. When we, like, the middle of the day, we went to the pro shop, and we had come down, and the guy asked us where we had gone. Oh, on the other side. We went to the very top, and he says, you didn't go up there with that bike. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Yeah. We rode all the way up. You didn't walk? No. You, can't, but you can't ride up all the way. I go, yeah, we climbed all the way up, man. Yeah, that was to the peak. I remember that. And then I remember coming down that really technically technical rocky section. It was like, oh yeah, and like it was so difficult to come down. And then like this, and then hippie, it opened up. But no, this hippie dude, long long hair, like Rasta hair type of thing. He's riding up it, and we're having a hard yeah. time riding down it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, actually, that's probably still my favorite mountain biking story because mountain bike uh, travel right, right now for me is still pretty new, right? So really, I only had that one trip out west and then back again. Um, so no really good stories with that yet. But I'm sure they'll come. I got a couple yeah. good wipeouts, a couple good videos. And what happened to you last year again? Oh, I just it was in Sedona. Um, 
just speaking of flow, it was like, you know, when you, when you get into that moment and you're locked in, you, you feel the flow is just nothing can stop you. And we're and basically going on a downhill through this river bed and, you know, it kind of come high sides back and forth on either side, right? Just having a ball. And it came up really high in this one section. And when I looked down, the trail just dropped out beneath me like it was just a ledge. So I freaked out and I pulled out too early and I flew headfirst into the other side of the riverbank mm-hmm. and brand new helmet dented my helmet flew about 20 feet i got it all on gopro uh thought i was concussed sat there for like, i looked at the gopro video after sat there for a minute and 40 some seconds before i got up and adjusted my gopro oh yeah yeah but it was fine you're all right oh yeah 100 percent. yeah no loss of memory yet no no what were we talking about <laughs> <laughs> jerk well chris Thank you very much for talking and uh, some good stories. And hopefully somebody finds some uh, inspiration in there. For sure. I'm always looking for travel partners. So uh, adventureover40.com, hook me up if you ever want to go skiing somewhere. Mountain biking. Say it again. Uh, adventureover40. Yeah. .com. Adventureover40.com. Instagram's probably better. Same thing, adventureover40. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Chris. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks to Chris Whitehead for sharing his stories with us over a nice low-carb beer. Uh, And thank you to all you out there who are listening. Hopefully you get inspired by Chris's story and uh, hop on your mountain bike and go for a ride or explore the world. Whatever you do, make the most of it. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.